Learning is going to be on the topic of Gerus, conversion, and our class is sponsored for the uh, protection and safety of the soldiers of Israel and the full shlema for the soldiers that need it and the safety returning of the hostages immediately. So, as we have discussed in the past about um, Gerus conversion, we've made it uh, one of the major points uh, that we focused on was how important and crucial it is, Kabbalah Samitzvahs, the acceptance of mitzvahs. And um, obviously, the, the, the term is not simple always, although the, the simple meaning is the acceptance of all mitzvahs, but it's not always black and white. Not everything is black and white, and, and certainly in, in the laws of Geras, not everything is so black and white. There is definitely a lot of gray area in Halacha, a lot of un, uh, not so clear. We have sometimes where either due to the question on the Bezden, question on the candidate of the, the convert candidate, there, there could be, uh, hopefully we don't want to have any questions. That's why we always suggest that whenever people uh, ring, you know, if they're asked, who, who do you suggest they should do a gay by, should suggest those who are recognized, those who there's no questions, those where everybody, uh, you know, clearly accepts their gay and uh, we don't want to have anyone who, you know, would be uh, feel uncomfortable that after their geras, people will question its validity or the like. And it's not so simple for people to be able to do that also. So I, I just want to stress that despite, you know, what we're talking about in these classes, even if something seems clear, black and white, acceptable, uh, or, or, or let's say black and white, that it's not acceptable, it's not so simple to come to any, jump to any conclusions, um, and, and these matters require, you know, COVID Roche, you know, proper thinking and not jumping to any conclusions, particularly when we're talking about uh, saying that the Geras was not good or something. It's not something that person can just on the spot uh, answer. If there is a question, there, there is areas that are is not so clear due to the various factors, particularly sometimes the question is what happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, etc. Sometimes people ask questions on Garris where it's three or four generations back. And those are not simple questions that person can just clearly just miss or the like. So, okay, let's, let, let's, I hope that was clear. Okay, so I would like to talk about some of the areas of where uh, there are questions. There are questions on the, on the conversion, but that doesn't guarantee that there's a problem. But uh, I think the takeaway we'll take is that hopefully a person should only do geiris in a way where we're not going to have these questions. Okay, so let's start with, um, you know, often people ask, can, can the rabbi of the synagogue be the rabbi who will convert the person? Why do they need to, you know, look around to go to some... You know, somewhere the rabbi is a rabbi of a shul. Let him do the gerus. So the truth is, is that it's very not a good idea for that to be done. Again, we're not even talking about if it will be recognized or not. Just the mere fact of a rabbi of a synagogue doing a conversion for someone in his synagogue, either someone who wants to marry a non-Jew and and they want to convert. And uh, they ask the rabbi of theirs to con- do the conversion or the like. That's not a good idea at all. Uh, ultimately, as we said, that the, the gerus needs to be, it is a mishpat, it's a judgment. And ultimately, that's why you need a basin. And they need to judge the merits of the case, the merits of the conversion candidate. They have to compare 
on what halacha says and see if it applies to the case of the person. Will the person continue? Will will they keep mitzvahs down the road and the like? If the if the person in this case that's judging the case, being the dain, is the rabbi of a shul, there can be a tremendous amount of pressure on him to to accept the person. First of all, there's a lot what to learn on Giris. It's it's not something that every shul rabbi has a specialty, and actually, you know, vast vast majority don't. So there's all types of questions that come up, and don't assume that just because if someone's a rabbi, they can do every field that has to do rabbinics. That's just absurd. Every rabbi uh, might be good in in this field or that field, but you can't say that every rabbi can perform any type of Jewish service. And when it comes to conversion, it's a very, very specific thing. Generally, it's done by people who are dayanim, those who are judges, those who who um, know how to you know, hold under pressure, know how to not give in and the like, if they feel that they, they, what they're doing is right or, or, or if they need to, to, to push off the conversion or the like, or, or even not go through with it. They have to be able to stand to that pressure. A rabbi of a shul sometimes might be, you know, uh, it's the president's uh, granddaughter is marrying a non-Jew or something, you know, uh, if he doesn't do the conversion, it might cost his, his career in this, you know, who knows? So therefore, the rabbi should say, listen, this is the base din, you go to them, this is not in my ability, I can't do conversions whether I like it or not. And that takes away stress off the rabbi, and that also shows that um, that those who have to do it are that this is their specific field of expertise, and they have credibility from the the general public with their integrity and the like. Um, and so, so too the the Lubavitch Rebbe, um, there's a, there's a sefer called Shlichas uh, Kehilchasa, page one forty eight over there. So it brings down many many different you know instances and stories in which the Rebbe basically told Shluchim that uh, they should not get involved in gerus, in conversion. Rather, it should just go to other Rabbanim. And it seems from some of the letters or some of the stories there, they record either because that distracts from the shliach's ability to be, uh, do the work they do best, which is to Mikar of Yidin and the like. But uh, regardless, also I, I, I would assume that one of the reasons is because, you know, shluchim are, you know, they... They also are dealing with community members and they shouldn't have to be put under tremendous pressure um, from Balabatim or the like. And therefore, since they're not involved in, in, in Geras, that keeps them in a way where they can do their work best and not have any uh, unnecessary pressure or, um, you know, or, or stuff that shouldn't need to be on, on, um, on, a, on a rav of a shul or the like or a shliach, etc., um, okay, so now what I wanted to discuss also was that there is a interesting, um, phen- well, in the 1980s, there was actually quite often you would find conser- um, conservative synagogue, oh, conservative temples, and they had rabbis that either graduated from YU or, or something like that, you know, there's a, the, the Orthodox, we'll call it, but they needed a shtela, they needed a rabbinical shul position or something. So they found conservative temples that were looking for, uh, for rabbis. So there was, it was quite common. So the question is that there were many of them that also did conversions. And the question is, well, maybe the rabbi is Orthodox. Okay, he's part of a conservative temple, but uh, he's probably Shemr Shabbos, and maybe he assumably used the other two Shemr 
what's the deal with the the garrus of these people so uh look besides the fact that there is uh, the, the, the rishonim who talk about how we act as a shlichus of the earlier generation and uh you know if you're not tip-top priority you know working for a conservative temple is probably i don't know it would be difficult to say that's the shlichus of the kadmonim that we're 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 acting in their place but there still seems to be a bit of a question if if they did keep mitzvahs and like we and, and they did do a conversion for such a candidate who maybe kept mitzvahs or maybe there was some sort of kabbalah mitzvahs. It's not so clear to say that outright it's for sure uh, not even a doubt. Um, there's a sefer called Mesorus Moshe, Volume One, Page Three Twenty Seven, where Ramosha seems to take the some sort of approach that there might be a bit of a doubt on on such a conversion. Meaning maybe maybe it has some sort of an effect. It's it's a difficult uh, question, um, but today, today I don't we don't have we don't have these cases where there's, there's, there's like an Orthodox rabbi just working in a conservative temple and it doesn't affect him that he could stay fully kosher and he's just working. You know that's today that it was something in the 1980s. There was such a a, a, a and it would be a doubt if if it, it could, there could be a doubt in the in the gears. But today today it would uh, not, this doesn't really happen anymore. Usually, if they're a part of a conservative movement, they're either in the rabbinic assembly or something like that, where it's not. It already shows that they're not going to have any credibility to do any gerus. So we're not saying that the that the gerus that it, one would have performed, working in a conservative temple, being an Orthodox rabbi, is for sure uh, maybe effective. But it, it could be a question. It's not something that you should that one could just automatically dismiss. If there was acceptance of mitzvahs, it would would have to be asked to an expert. Um, there's also a letter from the Lubavitch Rebbe in in Igros Kodesh Chelik, um, 13, volume 13, page 314, where he, the Rebbe writes that even though that regarding Geras, you know, his, 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 his approach has a certain approach, you know, proper stringent approach, but uh, sometimes the Rebbe says, Shaina ben Mikrazeh, in others, in the case of the question over there, there maybe there was some sort of doubt on the kasha, on the on the Geras, if it was a good one or not, so then maybe one should go out of their way to help make that they should have a good geiris. And the Rebbe says, because they're already intermingling into the Bnei Yisrael, into the Jewish people, and people don't know about it, they're not going to know the difference between someone who's, uh, maybe they didn't have a good geiris, or their mother didn't have, but, and uh, therefore, um, we need to deal with that. So it's often that people will have, maybe they did have a geiris, which was a bit questionable, and uh, to push them away, not, a, not necessarily a good idea, but at the same time, to keep your eye on and to see if they could go to the right sources to seek clarity on the matter would probably be uh, the best approach. Um, everything, of course, with tremendous sens- uh, sensitivity because these things can be very harmful if they're not done with tremendous care. There is a uh, final question that I will discuss, um, which is interesting, but a very difficult question. From time to time, sometimes we hear of that it was a dying in a on a based in or something of Gerus, and uh, at some point he developed, or there was rumored, a disgraceful reputation. And then the question comes out, there was a case like this in Washington, D.C., there was... There's a case in London like this. There's a case like this in Russia, 
going back many, many years. But there were some cases that came up in here and there. I don't want to go into any details of any other places or the like. So the question is that uh, if, if there was some sort of terrible reputation or disgraceful rumors going on one of the rabbis performing the gerus, and assumably we're talking obviously about a uh, Orthodox based in, the question would be, does that invalidate, put into question the gerus uh, that were performed and we'll assume that the person or the people that the gerus was on were people who, uh, who, who keep mitzvahs. Does that mean that maybe the one of the judges was invalid due to these rumors so how do we how do we go about looking into the question obviously this is a question if if it were to come up it would be need to be addressed by uh you know big big experts in the field but nonetheless we'll, we'll still we'll, we'll share some ways of looking at it and still some sort of a takeaway so the first question we can ask is is do rumors let's say the rumors were true um, depending on what they were for, what type of rumors they were, would it invalidate the Dayan and, and thus invalidate the Gerus? And the second question we could ask is how much verification is needed in order to deem the rumor as true? So let's say regarding the first question, in general we find the laws of testimony of Edus, witnesses, that there are some uh, biblical sins, we'll call them, they could invalidate a witness and invalidate him in a Torah biblically invalidate him. And if a person does rabbinical sins, that will make them rabbinically invalid. So that that is... Um, now, there is a difference between rabbinical um, in, um, um, invalid, being invalid uh, as a witness rabbinically, that you would need to have that the matter becomes announced to the public. So the Gemara in... The Gemara in Sanhedrin 26b... And Shulchan Aruch, I'm sorry, the Gemara in Sanhedrin mentions uh, on uh, 25a, yes, that you need to have two witnesses in order to invalidate someone. Okay, so if you don't have two witnesses who can come forth to testify against the person, we can't necessarily invalidate them. So let's say somebody um, had done an Avera, let's just say, uh, I don't know, violating Shabbos or something like that. Well, if we don't know that it happened, why are we going to assume that the person is invalid? Two witnesses came and testified that they, they violated Shabbos, and not some mistake, and they did it on purpose, knowingly or the like, that would actually give them a status of uh, invalid testimony. They can't be a witness. If they can't be a witness, they certainly can't be a, a dying because being a dying, you have to have higher, credit, have higher credibilities than a regular witness. If... Now, um, you actually need two witnesses in order to do that. You, if, if, if absent the two witnesses, the question is, can a person become invalid? Not with the absence of two witnesses, which is not always so easy to do or to get. Um, and to become invalid rabbinically, it's more than that. You actually need that the voice that they have to announce on the person that they are invalid, as it's brought in Shulchan Aruch. So, so that could be that if there was rumors that uh, emerged on some dying, it's possible that only after, you know, it might not be that first of all there were any witnesses. It's just some sort of, you know, idea or rumors going around. Um, secondly, if it was a rabbinical of era, 
So it's not necessarily that they could be invalid so quickly because, again, if it wasn't, you know, announced to the public, like, for example, the person was removed, they were a shul rabbi, and they said, no, due to this, uh, you know, scandal or the like, they need to be removed. So if something like that didn't actually take place, it might be that they're not considered invalid till then. Now, it's not so simple that we use this point always. Sometimes there's an avera which is so well known. For example, it says if a person's a shepherd and they graze the animals in other people's field. So even if without witnesses coming forward, we know that they're invalid because they're stealing. So then you don't need two witnesses to testify. There's also a truth from Moshe Feinstein that if, let's say, the uh, person is uh, not Torah observing, it's just known that they're not Torah observing. So you don't need two witnesses to testify. They're not Torah observing. So in uh, Yerodea, in Igris Moshe, Yerodea, volume 2, um, Simon 123, he says if there, if there, if it was known that one of the Dayanim, even one, was not Torah observant, so obviously they're not, the, you don't need two witnesses to testify in this, and um, that's it, the, the, the Geras will be no good, okay? That's if you know, that's if it's pretty much well known and the like. Um, now, another important point is, is that not every Avera that someone does, not every sin they do, is certainly something that would invalidate them. For example, we do find that, and I spoke about this in the last recording, that um, not, if some people, for example, the Gemara says that if people bury the, the dead on this first day of Yom Tov, they think they're doing mitzvah. Really, it's an avir. Really, it's a sin. But they, they think there's some mitzvah they're doing. So, so therefore, maybe that, that, that so it, it won't invalidate them. And that's actually... Um, that's the Gemara 26b in Sanhedrin. It's in Cheshen Mishpah 34, uh, Sif 4, and it's also Sif 24. There's, there is a possibility that, that someone might be doing an Avera and they don't consider it to be Avera. It's something that maybe they, you know, they overlook the severity, possibly maybe taxes or something. They might not think it's such an Avera or, or it's hard to tell. Something of that sort, right? Now, we also have a very fascinating tshuva, a very scary tshuva from the Rebbe Vadya Yosef, Yabi Omer Ebenezer, volume 9, uh, Simon 33, in which he mentions about that there was some witness, an aide, of of, uh, there was an aide for divorce, who he saw he had no beard, he had a clean-shaven face, so he thought he was using an electric shaver, which maybe would, you know, avoid the biblical prohibition, and he found out that the guy was using a, a real shaver, and the Rebbe Vadya brings down there uh, long tshuva to post facto and validate the gittin that this, this person was an aide for, that he was a witness for, because of various reasons. Also, no two witnesses came forth. It was just his, you know, a person can't make themselves a, wi- a wicked person. You know, the Masamatsu in Russia, he thought that it wasn't an Avera. He was just mistaken. So there's many other reasons he brings down there. Um, and to, And also... Uh, the truth is that we should be more stringent, however, when we're talking about a dayan, a, a judge, than a witness, because by a dayan, they're held to a higher standard than a witnesses. Um, this is actually, there's interesting, uh, from, written from the Chazan Ish in Eben Ezra 101, uh, Sifkat in 18, where he mentions, of course, that a dayan needs to have seven special qualities. They can't, they can't, uh, they don't want money. They're not running to get money. They're not, uh, they're, they're humble, etc. So it doesn't say that a witness needs all those qualities. So, which would be also one of the big questions. Let's say there was a a, a dying. We hear from time to time that he's taking absorbent amounts of money, 
tra- crazy amounts of money due to a Geras, that, 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 that would bring a high-level question on the Geras um, and the like, based on what we're talking about, of course. Um, so, on concluding marks, I'll mention from a safer from Rav Yoyna Ries, who's the uh, Av Basin of the Chicago Rabbinical Council. So in his safer, Kanfi Yona, page 147-48, he mentioned something to the following. He says that in connection to this case, as a general rule, it's not in English, but this is more or less my translation, it's very difficult to invalidate people and Dianim due to shameful rumors. So, for example, the Gemara in Sanhedrin 110a talks about such a case about how people suspected someone who wasn't really guilty of it. This is especially the case when the person has known competitive enemies. For example, see Gemara Mode Cut in 18b, where maybe they're making false rumors on him. And they far, he says, therefore one needs to settle on this matter, you know, the misyashiv in this matter. They need to quickly, don't come to conclusions so quickly, um, and not to declare someone who's a Russia, who is in a Russia. They shouldn't make the wrong conclusions on people and not to puzzle someone who is not puzzle, but only to puzzle someone who truly is. At the same time, if there is room to learn merit and be lenient in certain cases that were already done, certainly one should make all efforts not to use dianim or witnesses. I'm sorry. He concludes that based, of course, on what we're saying, one should be extremely cautious on who they use as witnesses, who they use as dayanim, because of this exact problem, because we don't want that there should be a chil Hashem in the future, so that we don't want to cause agnus nefesh to someone. So we, like we said, you know, you're, 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 someone asking, where should they go to Geras? There should be no question, but they should, uh, you should only, if you don't know, you say, I, I need to look into it, but to find a place, a basin, which has an, an, an amazing reputation. So there shouldn't be any questions that should arise on any of these matters, whether relating to Geirus or Gitin or Kedushin or the like.